Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Sakari, and this is Life Altering Events. Now, I'm going to start the show today with a very shameless self-promotion. I've just written my sixth book, and it's just entering the editing process, so we don't have, I don't have any idea how long that's going to take. But the book is called The Secret to Walking on Water is to Know Where the Rocks Are. And this is a guide for every entrepreneur or anyone who leads an organization, As you're going to see many times throughout this guide, success isn't working harder or working smarter. It's not what you know that's going to determine your success or failure. It's also about what you don't know. What you know is not nearly as important as who you know. Too many business organizations, too many businesses and organizations sink because they don't know what they don't know. Now, this guide will help prepare you and show you where the rocks are so that you can walk on water. I will keep you posted as the release date gets closer. Enough of the self-promotion. Ladies and gentlemen, we have all had periods in our life where we just feel stuck. No matter what we think we want to do, we just never get around to doing it. We find ourselves in a rut, spinning our wheels, and we're going nowhere. So what happens? Most of the time, we just settle for being stuck and wait for that mythical someday to come. Well, we said many, many times on this show that in order for people to embrace and activate change, they have to feel it is both important and possible. So what do you want to change? Maybe you want to stop smoking or cut back on drinking, or maybe you want to become more assertive at work or overcome a phobia that keeps you stuck. Maybe you just want to change the dynamic in your family or your personal life. It may be important enough, but is it possible? And the answer is, yes, it is possible. My guest today is Darlene Corbett. She is someone that will help us understand how we can make this possible. Let me tell you something about my friend Darlene. She holds an LIS excuse me, L-I-C-S-W license. She's a keynote speaker. She's an author. She's a licensed therapist, hypnotherapist, and a podcaster. And this is one very busy woman. She's also known as the unstuck expert. Now, Darlene has developed programs based on her experience, and she's hired by associations and, and corporations all over the world. Her book, Stop Depriving the World of You, was published by Sound Wisdom, and it helps readers to begin their unique journey to self-discovery. Now, I've read this book. I highly recommend it. Get online and order it. She has been quoted in numerous publications, and Biz Catalyst 360 has invited her to be a featured contributor and a columnist. In addition, if that's not enough, she's also a co-host with Melody Beach on Unity Radio, And she is the health and wellness correspondent for WCCA-TV in Worcester, Massachusetts. 
So Darlene, welcome to Life Altering Events. I am just so pleased to be here, Frank. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it is our pleasure to have you. And did I pronounce Worcester correctly, since that's supposed to be one of the most difficult? (laughs) You're better than some. They say Worcester. You said Worcester, so it's close enough. (laughs) Close enough. All right. Thank you. Now, Darlene, give the listeners a short overview of your training. How long have you been a licensed therapist? Oh, my goodness. Almost my whole adult life, Frank. I went to, let's see, I went to undergrad and got a degree in psych and urban studies, went to work for one year at Head Start way back in 1979. I took a picture with all the twins that were there long before in vitro. It's so funny. I just remember that. Then I went to graduate school in 1980. 82 came out. Basically, I got my LICSW a couple of years later. And I've been a social worker since then, and I've been a self-employed therapist since 1989. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been doing you've been doing this for a while. That's I have most of my adult life, Frank. <laughs> now you're known, Darlene, as the unstuck expert. Yes. Okay. What are the most common reasons people who are stuck come to you? Well, you know, I always tell people this, Frank. People enter therapy usually for one reason. It's a problem or a crisis of some sort. It could be many things. They stay in therapy for different reasons. One is the problem has not resolved. Two is they like coming to me because I'm the keeper of secrets. And three, well, then they they often just want to stay as a check-in. So I sometimes see them episodically. But people get stuck often around relationships, both professionally and personally. And some are very difficult to navigate. And what we work on is tools to help them believe they can. The most important, I think, ingredient is the belief that they can, along with tenacity, is the belief in the possibilities, the belief in the mindset, and the belief that they will find a way out of the situation. Not an easy course to navigate, but they can do it. When people are... Are they are they sent from uh, like their company? Who they, do they go there and say, "Does our insurance cover this?" Or are more people coming to you just simply by word of mouth because yes. of, of your reputation? That's a great question. At one time, long ago, maybe I, I did employee assistance work, so some people came for that reason, or I got referrals from other therapists. Now it's both therapists and people come at hearing me through word of mouth. Or returning. I've seen, I, you know, I have this years of experience, so many people come back to see me. But yeah, so those two, I would say word of mouth and referrals from other therapists or health providers. Now, I've heard you say that what you do is to facilitate a corrective experience. Expand yes. on that. Explain that for us. Yes, I love that you just said that for me. Thank you. Many people view therapy, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. I think it's changed over the years. But at one time, it was viewed that you have to really have a major mental health issue. And some people still do, of course, but they can learn to manage it. And I always tell those people, it's a piece of your life. It's not all of your life. The corrective experiences, many people from all walks of life, and I'm talking about, you know, what appears to be most successful on the outside, come because... Once you get into it, and it's really up to them, Frank, I leave it up to them how far they want to go, but you see that they were not maybe mirrored properly or not given the tools to recognize that they could improve their life or given the maybe example that, look at you, you're not getting anywhere. And so through that experience with someone like me, 
that I let them see that there's more to them, that they be open to the possibilities, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your age. So through their work with me, I believe I can at least help them begin to see that they can let the past go. They can work it through, put it aside, and move forward because it truly only serves two purposes. Say one of those delicious moments, as I often say, and what have you learned? So I'm hoping through me, I mean, I've been told sometimes, wow, you're really nice to me. Well, why wouldn't I be? And so those are the kinds of things that I take for granted in my own life that, well, everyone should treat you nice. Well, that's not the way the world works, as we know. So it's giving these people another way to see that just because what may have happened to them long ago does not mean that's going to keep happening to them. And one of the stigmas a while back, and I hope it's being broken now, is what you said earlier. Um, people were, were uh, was a hesitancy to go see a therapist because there was this, in their minds, they thought, well, I'm not crazy. I'm not mentally ill. I just need a safe place. Are you seeing that changing now? Oh, yes. More and more people. The good news is that because insurance is availed, and Massachusetts is heavily, it used to be very managed. It's much better now. It's a little bit more they give us more freedom. The good news is, in many ways, they, they help us make a living, but they also give people the opportunity to use their benefit. So you see people, I see people from all walks of life. I've even had some people say, is it okay I'm here even though my anxiety has abated? I said, yes, it is okay that you're here. You don't have to have a, a precise problem. If you're not feeling that things are going well, if work is stressful, if you're isolated, if you're not feeling you're meeting your potential all the reason to be here. So yes, people are really beginning to see that it's a normalized process and that more people they know are going to therapy and they're also choosing to do so. One of the things I've heard, and I've been to therapy, and one of the things that I've heard is it's nice to go someplace where you're not feeling judged, number one, and you don't have to be uh, careful about what you say and then having somebody use that against you. Yes. I love that. You just led me to what I call myself. I refer to myself as the keeper of the secrets. It should be a place that's safe. That, And that's, I'll say this, that's why some people stay. They carry some secrets or some things that have occurred or still occurring that they can't share with anyone else. And so, yes, this is a place for them, if they find the right match, to be able to be themselves, open up, see that it's a place of safety and recognize they're not going to be judged. They're going to be helped. And some people just come, as you said, to have a place to go to share where they can't necessarily do that with other people. Let's, let's stay on this keeper secrets idea yeah. here that you mentioned, because I was very impressed. I read this in your book and I thought it was amazing. And you said, I'm the keeper of secrets because I use deep listening. Yes. What is deep listening? So deep listening is for me, it's it's not just sitting there going, uh-huh. And of course, we all do that sometimes as therapists. Right. I don't try not to say uh-huh because it gets on people, it gets on my nerves. But we really pay attention not to just what they're saying, but their actions, their visuals, their gestures, looking like there's tears in their eyes. Really, it's kind of a multi-sensory experience. So it is more listening, but it's also visual. So I'm so pleased that more people are opting to use the Zoom and the FaceTimes versus just the telephone because the telephone is fine. But when I'm sitting with someone that I know may be in distress or they don't want to let me, they're trying to hold it together. 
by looking at them and giving them permission allows them to be heard, even though it's not just audio, it's visual, it's multisensory. And so I think deep listening really encompasses the whole package, the gestures, the facial expressions, the body movements. Exactly. There's so much um, unsaid when you look at an individual and you see a visual change in their demeanor or in their expression or even slumping their shoulders. Yes, that's right. I've heard you say about deep listening. I read in your book what you said. Deep listening gives gives the person that's talking to you the sense of you matter. Yes. You're visible. Yeah. And you're safe. Expand on that. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about that. It's also engaged. It's it's more, you know how people sometimes say being effective, communicating is an effective process. I call it an engaged process. The most important thing to me in therapy is, and I think what makes me, what makes people come back, most people, I hope, that I try to be myself with still being professional. So myself is someone that's animated. I have to sometimes pull back a bit. (laughs) But also they know that what they see is what they get. I am not being inauthentic. I am being true. But letting them talk, feel safe, I will. If they say, you know, what do you think? I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll give them, I'll sometimes give advice. Not always. If it's a major issue, I'll say, I can't make that decision for you. But the most important thing is they know they're heard. They know they're safe. They know I'm not judging them. I truly do not. I think we have enough Often people have so much guilt, and sometimes they have to. That's what makes people maybe change their behavior, change the way they need. But I'm there to help them see that there is another way by making them recognize I'm sincere in my belief in them. Are you seeing, Darlene, given the current state of the world and all the fear and the division, are you seeing more people coming to therapy? You know, I am, and all of my colleagues, from what I understand, we're all full. And a lot of people are coming around the COVID issue, the isolation. The biggest, I think, issue for most of them, some are fearful of getting it, of course, but the biggest is really the isolation, the inability to connect to the world. And for those people, it's devastating, especially if they work already remotely, they may be a single or they can't see their family. That is the devastating impact. So we worry about the mental health issues in terms of greater depression, greater anxiety, and unfortunately and disturbingly, even before this, the suicide rate increased, and it's on the rise. We're also hearing we had a a woman on the show who deals with teen suicide. Yes. And she's had a teen suicide prevention program. Is that something you're getting more calls for if people are – maybe not contemplating suicide, but are having those types of thoughts? You know, I have to tell you, I really don't have a lot of people right now having, they don't, and I always have to ask for it, but more people feel, thankfully, I don't, that, that, I haven't seen that as of yet, but more people are, are feeling despondent. They're feeling like they don't know if they want to go on. They're not, they let me know they're not suicidal. Yeah, but they feel despondent. Now, isolation is a big deal. Because we have, we're social animals, yes. right? People, people yes. are social animals. And if you were, were going to work and you were seeing people interacting and now you're at home and that's gone and you can't go anywhere. Yes. How do you help them? What do you say to them? 
I have the biggest thing I tell them is think, try to maintain hope. That is our greatest instrument is hope and that this too eventually will pass. I remind every one of them that nothing stays the same. We will come out of this eventually. We will. I try to remind them of all the things over the course of history that eventually turns around. And I often use the metaphor that we're walking down a walk, we're walking down a gray day. It's been raining for days. We don't think it's ever going to change. And all of a sudden the rain stops, the sun comes out, and if you look closely, you might capture a gorgeous rainbow that's fleeting, but there for you to take in. It's a reminder that nothing stays the same. Maintaining hope is absolutely critical. Yes. Um, when, when you when someone comes in and they're they're isolated and despondent, I love that story that you just gave. Um, do you have any follow up that you do with them, just to 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 keep the hope alive? Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, and this is a whole other discussion. But I'm also a hypnotherapist, and Which so we're gonna I get into those, in more depth. Pardon me. We're going to get into that in a lot of yes. depth here soon. So I often use those tools. I invite them to see if they want to do it, and most many people do. And I use that because it really invites the not just the conscious mind, but the unconscious mind to take this in. And they are, most people, I would say the majority, most 99% feel really, really at peace after that experience. That's outstanding. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break right here because we're going to do that hypnotherapy uh, part of what Darlene just mentioned in great depth, and I don't want to break her train of thought for for a, a stop or an advertisement. So we're going to take a break here. Stay with us. It's going to get better and better with Darlene Corbett. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Voice 
You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We just went through one segment with Darlene Corbett. Darlene is a licensed therapist, a hypnotherapist, a podcaster, a writer, keynote speaker, and pretty much anything else you can possibly think of, she does it. This is one incredibly talented and busy woman. Well, you are just great, Frank. And you know what? I love when you say busy because you're right. That's my People go, how are you? I go, busy. <laughs> that's, it. that's good. Much better to be busy than anything else. Yes. Now, last segment, ladies and gentlemen, we talked about why people go to therapy and who has been going to therapy. And it's all walks of life, as Darlene pointed out. And one of the big issues has been isolation during the current COVID situation that we're dealing with. And she had just touched on before the break, being in a hypnotherapist. And we want to go into great depth on this. And Darlene, we all have images yes. of, of hypnotist on TV and the guy is waving the, the, the watch in front of somebody and then they make them do something stupid. Yes. Dispel this myth. What yes. is hypnotherapy? What so is so I'll give you the, sure. So, you know, I, I shared to you off, off the air, I almost didn't train. I had been in the mental health field for over 10 years and I thought, I'm not learning that hocus pocus. And as soon as I entered the training, reluctantly, I was put in hypnosis. And I thought, that's hypnosis? I fell in love with it. So what is hypnosis? I will give you the formal definition that I learned from my my mentor long ago, Daniel Brown. He wrote a book. He's, he's this brilliant trainer. But the, the formal definition that I remember he's calling it, and it's perfect, is an hypnosis is an altered state of consciousness. What does that mean? It means that certain stimuli comes forward certain retreats in the background. You read a good book, you get engrossed. That is almost a dissociative state. It is a dissociative state. You get into that book. You don't hear what anyone's saying because you're not listening. You're engrossed. You are into that stimuli. The more informal definition, which a 90-year-old man told us eight years ago, he just passed and he's 98, and he said, call it a daydream. And we all looked, we go, you're right. That's what it is. So when we daydream, which kids are very, very effective at, that's why they're highly hypnotizable, we are in what's called a dissociative state. When you drive, sometimes you wonder how you get there. That is a dissociative state. And that is evidence that most of us have an ability to be hypnotized. Now, when dispel some of the myths here. Sure. Is, yeah. You're not waiting a watch in front of somebody, yes. right? No, no, so no, what is that. the process? What is yes, the process? So let me tell you that. So there's two ways I can hypnotize people. That is called an ideomotor technique, the one with the watch. But you don't dangle it fast. One of the techniques I've u- used is with a key that you go around slowly and then you invite people to just notice the key moving around slower and slower. Soon you will want your eyes to close. They're getting heavier and heavier. Anyway, so some of those techniques are accurate, Frank. Do not get me wrong. What they do on TV is they make it look like it's magic. So when you go into what's called an altered state of consciousness, a a state of well-being, a state that's referred to as trance, it is not 
a unfamiliar state. It is very familiar. And that's why so many people say to me, wow, that felt great. That was interesting. But I was not entranced because I heard everything you said. I could come out of it any time I want. Yes, I said, that's exactly what it is because there is no hocus pocus. This is something, a part of your unconscious that you're able to utilize. So the myth is when you see people, you know, raise their hand and they go, wow, I didn't know I was raising my hand. That is called perceived involuntarism. If you do not want to raise your hand, you would not raise your hand, but you want to please the hypnotherapist and you're open to suggestion, so you raise your hand. So it's that's the irony. I do a technique in hypnosis, not so much during COVID. I can't do this so easily virtually, although I may have done it. I can't remember. But anyway, you invite people to have, imagine there's two magnets sitting in each of the palm of your hands. Focus on the attraction, the opposites, and notice what happens? And many people, you'll see their hands like resisting, and then they eventually come together. And they look and they go, oh my gosh, after they come out. I said, you had control over that, not me. So the belief that hypnosis controls you, that is a major myth. The only time I would say that's a possibility, and I had to think about this more recently, is if you've already been indoctrinated, if you're, for example, you're in a cult, or you're following a very charismatic, I don't want to say leader, but somebody that's really, really sociopathic and they, they get you in their grasp, they probably could use those suggestions to manipulate you. But for the most part, most people and most hypnotherapists, hopefully, do not do that. And most people won't do it. You, you never usually do what you don't want to do. That's the myth. Now, I've talked to a number of people after you and I spoke who have tried this. Yes. And one of the things you said and you also put it in your book you, a lot of it is a phobia. Is that correct? A phobia to, uh, in, in terms of what? To hypnosis? Bring, to bring somebody to help to hypnosis. Yes. People come for phobias. That's a very, it's highly effective for phobias, Frank. I've seen a number of people with phobias around driving. Some are flying. I've seen mixed results, but some people do great. Some people driving on highways, driving that's too narrow. Some, some people, I've seen people with phobias around blood around seeing someone get ill, phobias around needles. There's so many. It's very effective for phobias. And I can share an example if you'd like. Please, please. Yeah, so I saw this young woman years ago. I'll give you an, and she was, had, I think she was diabetic or close to I can't even remember. She was about, she was in her late teens. And her doctor called and said, you've got to get the, we've got to get the needle in. She was fearful, fearful of, the needle. So I decided to use something that she used as a hobby. She loved to do photography. So I said, you're going to imagine now as you're sitting down, as they get the rubber band around your arm, you're going to notice they're getting the camera ready. As they begin to put the needle, you're going to see that they're getting the lens ready and the needle goes in, click. I don't know if that was what worked, but the doctor called me. She goes, I don't know what you did, but we finally got the needle in. And I suspect it was, that certainly helped. Did it do it all? I don't know. So I try to use people's own imagery, people's hobbies, their passions to help them because that's going to be most effective. Their voice, their images, what works best for them. Now, in addition to phobias, a lot of people I've been told will come because they want to do some kind of self-improvement. They want yes. to stop smoking, but they can't or they're, yes. they're, they're trying to deal with pain. How does that differ or does yes. it differ? Yes, so smoking is con- it's considered in the habit area. It's 
but you have to ask where does habit end and addiction begins. Smoking is probably one of the toughest. Smoking and weight, the most common, although smoking less so these days, but still, weight is more common, but they both are the toughest. But smoking, both reasons you want it to be for health. Health is the most effective driver for smoking and weight. Now, that was many years ago. Now, I would also say finances for smoking. But that's a habit. They have to be ready. Some people do it better cold turkey. Some people do it better gradually. I haven't seen a smoker in a while, but that's certainly one of the one of the tools. Hypnosis can be quite effective. There's other habits also that, you know, nail biting, it's very effective. Hair bull, pulling, mix. That's a mix, but it can at least minimize some of it. So, yes, habits are one of the things. And pain also. I have done, there's a technique I learned. I didn't develop this technique. There's a lot of techniques I didn't develop, and there's some I have and modified, and I've made up my own. But pain is something called a glove anesthesia, and you have them imagine the hand is becoming so numb as if they were wearing a glove of anesthesia, and you have them put it on the spot where there's the pain. And many years ago, I treated a man. This was my beginning of as a hypnotherapist. So I was so insecure. And this man came in very quiet. He had had an accident. And we did this in his, I think it was his leg that was injured. I saw him three times. He didn't come back. He felt he had enough. I think I made it done a recording. I can't remember. And then I didn't get paid. And I thought, and I felt bad. I didn't feel I was very effective. I thought, well, I might as well let that one go. Three months later, the man sent me a letter. He paid me, and he said, I went through hell to get this, but here, you help me. I want you to be paid. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We don't always know the end of the story, Frank, as you know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I've uh, this this past weekend, I was with somebody who, who was smoking. He's a bitch fool. He says, I'm almost at an addiction point. Yeah. So I suggested him contacting you, yes. which I don't know if he has or he hasn't at this point. Yeah. But when you're talking to someone with smoking, how do you get, how do you take that urge and disassociate it when somebody's at that level? Well, you know, it's, it's a good question. So think about it. When you have someone that drinks a lot and they drink excessively and then they go to AA excessively, you say that's a good thing. Why? Because they're replacing a bad habit with a good habit. And eventually, you know, they'll kind of come to modification, but at that time, that's going to help them. So here, you're trying to get, you're trying to slow the impulse down with smoking. You're trying to get them in that moment. First of all, what I usually do is say, what's what's the easiest time you think you could stop smoking? What's the hottest time? What's the time you smoke the most? You get them to think about that, and then you begin to help them focus on something they can replace when they get that impulse and urge, because eventually it will subside. It will come back again, but it will subside, especially during those crucial moments. So you often want to replace a not-so-healthy habit with a healthy habit, because habits aren't going to go away that quickly. They're stubborn. They start in the conscious mind, and then they lodge in the unconscious, and that's why they're so difficult to, to really eradicate. So you want to try to help them find a more constructive habit to replace that habit. That would be the same with people who have uh, uh, eating addictions and along That's those right. lines also. Absolutely. And with eating, you know, it's so complicated because we don't need, as, we, as you know, we don't cigarettes, alcohol, drugs to live. You need your food to live. But you have to, again, you look at what is, what are they, able, what you want them to have success so what are you able right now to be able to let go? What's the thing that you know you don't need the le- that you need the least? Or what's the worst time? What's the time of night 
for example, do you eat after a certain hour? Do you eat in the middle of the night? You want to get those behaviors under control because that gives them a level of success and then it helps them move on to ones that those that are more difficult so you see that they're successful but you want to start with the one that's i don't want to say easy because none of it's easy but the easiest that's perfect that's perfect yes. so it's a it's a slow evolutionary it's not magic you come one no. time you snap your fingers and you're cured no but there are some things you know, Frank, it's interesting you say that. There are some habits and phobias that do go away quickly. I don't always know. I had a woman that was fearful of heights once. I hypnotized her. After one or two sessions, she it, it was over. I had a man that had a ridiculously painful, when I say painful, it was very physical, and he was a public figure, a habit that he used with his foot. After two visits, he was a skeptic. He goes, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. After two visits, he called and said, I don't need the third. I'm fine. So who knows, you know, but yes, some are easier than others. It depends on people's readiness, their ability to overcome. There's so many variables involved, but for most people, no, it takes time. Yeah. And when we spoke, and and you also elaborated this in your book, that the hypnotherapy, it's not magic, and you cannot make somebody do something they don't want to do. Is that right? Explain that. That's right. That's right. And you can't, even when you want, even them hoping for success for people, if they can't do it. And what sometimes happens in hypnosis, you know, it's a, it's such an interesting phenomenon. It really is. And I mean, just, I'll just say this. It's been, we've, it's been around since the dawn of time. And when it finally became a science is during World War II, they recognized they had to do something for the, for the, the people that were in bat, bat, combat because there was no, there wasn't enough pain medication, so they hypnotized them. That's how powerful. And then they recognized it needed to be researched more. But it is um, it is just an amazing tool. And I, I just forgot what I was going to say now on that note. But I want to just really say how expansive it can be, and it's really about the mind. And you can repeat your question now, but I just digress for a moment. <laughs> no problem. Now, there's a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. Yes. Okay, for, for a lay person, what's the difference? Conscious, we know what's going on. We're aware. We're totally aware. We, you know, we are aware that there is a lamp in front of us. We're aware. You're aware what I'm saying, what you're saying to me. The unconscious is taking this in, and you don't know if it's going to remember it or not. The unconscious is inviting, inviting the possibilities, is inviting something that may be in the crevices of your mind to come forth. Oh, yeah. For example, do you recall a time in your life when you were happy, you know, happy about something really major? And you might not say, you guys, I really have to think about that. You put them in trance and they'll go, you invite them to go back to that time and it shows up and sometimes very vividly. You ask them to talk about the colors and the sounds and the, the people there. And it's very, you can invite them to even magnify the vividness, magnify the sounds and the smells and the feeling of happiness. That's the unconscious working. Mm-hmm. And once something gets in the unconscious mind, that's where the, the challenge comes? Yes. Well, because it's the habits, they're lodged there. If it's a good habit, you, you want to keep it there. But if it's not a good habit, and when I say a good, should I say an unhealthy habit, mm-hmm. you have to get to the conscious, to the unconscious, and keep working at it. It's like anything in the mindset. You keep repeating it. You have to practice it. So with hypnosis, it may take a few times to go 
back over and over and over. That's why it's so important for people to keep visualizing or do self-hypnosis outside of the hypnotic sessions to keep the momentum going. Now, talk a little bit about self-hypnosis. I was going to take a class at one point in my life, and I got shipped overseas <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> on self-hypnosis. I knew I was going to go overseas uh, during the Vietnam War, and I said, okay, i got to do something here. What is self-hypnosis? So, his self, so self-hypnosis is you are basically taking the hypnotic techniques, techniques that you showed and use some of them. So I, I've done it with a recording. I'll make a recording for people. That's a, a really, a, it's not a self-hypnosis. Yeah, it's a self-hypnosis because they don't have me there. They have my voice or someone else's voice, but they go inward on their own and they listen to the, the hypnotic techniques being suggested and they come out on their own. What I can do is teach people how to go into trance very quickly and how to come out of it. And there's a technique I learned from that 90-year-old gentleman again that he taught us. You close your eyes really tightly. You bring them to the top of your head. You hold your breath. You let it out. And when we did it, I said, and we were all senior clinicians at this point. When we did it, we said, wow, that felt like trance. And he goes, it is trance. So I do it myself sometimes when I can't sleep. I close my eyes tight. You bring your eyes up to your head. You hold your breath because you're, you're leaving, you're going right brain, left brain. You hold your breath, you let it out, and everything relaxes all. You go into this kind of state of well-being. It's a very quick way, and I show people that on, on a regular basis. That's incredibly interesting stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another break here, and then we're going to come back with Darling Corbett, and we're going to get into issues of daydream and the importance of quiet, the pause, and then we're going to get into her book in more depth. All right? Don't go away. This last segment is going to be the best yet. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We just had two segments with Arlene Colbert. In the last segment, if you missed it, make sure you get on demand and listen to it later today. We got into hypnotherapy, the myths, the truths, what it is, what it isn't, how it can be used, and the value that it brings. This is not this hocus-pocus guy sitting on a stage at, at, at Las Vegas waving a thing and making you bark like a dog. There's... This is something that can be very, very therapeutic. Darlene went into great depth on that. Make sure you listen if you missed that segment. Now, now we're back. Darlene. Yes. We, we touched on We have a, both have a friend called, named, called. Her name is Kat Cavanis. And yes. she talks a great deal about dreams and about the importance of not dismissing or discounting daydreams. And you mentioned yes. daydreams earlier in the conversation. Expand a little bit more on the value of daydreams. Yes, you know, when people don't realize, that's why I say hypnosis is a daydream. So you can daydream, as as I've I've talked about this, daydream a way of success. If you daydream and, and imagine what you want or how to change something, I mean, I'm not certainly think, suggesting magical thinking. This is not magical thinking. The more you visualize it, the more you maybe apply a mantra to it. For example, seeing yourself, let's just say those of us in the speaking world who have a fear of public speaking, which so many people do. You have them just daydream, even if you're not doing hypnosis Formally, you can get into it informally, daydream yourself on that stage, daydream yourself of looking, looking at an audience and say to yourself as you're daydreaming, look at me, I'm standing tall, shoulders back, head high. I even invite people to really not just daydream, but as they're doing it, you can be relaxed, but get in that position that you want and keep inviting the imagery because that's what daydreams do for us. We can hear ourselves. We can imagine. We need to recapture that that wonderful medium that was so, so vivid as a child that we still have, but we need to bring it back and invite it to keep coming in. The more we do it, the more we invite the imagination and through the imagination, our creativity. And we all are creative beings. And that's why I think daydreaming is imperative because it does tap into the imagination and it taps into those creative seeds that might be lying at the surface or maybe submerged deep in. But if you keep doing it, it will show itself even if you're, as we talked about, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Do not give up if you have an idea and you have a wish. Daydream. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. So daydream, I've, I've, I've heard it said, uh, is almost like a visualization process. Is that yes. true? Yes, I think so. Yes. If we all think about how we daydream, I mean, you think about when you're a little kid, how much you daydream. You had imaginary friends. You look at your children, they have imaginary friends. You want them to continue to be able to do that. That's why for children, being able to do solitary play is so important. You know, parents worry they have to have their kids constantly structured. No, let them be. Their creativity, their imagination is working. That's what you want to have them as part of their development. And again, as we lose it, we need to continue. To, we, we need to regain it. And people say, oh, I'm not creative. I said, 
You are in some part of you. You have to just be open to the possibility. Invite that idea that you may have wanted to develop. It may not be exactly in the form you had when you were 20 or 15 or even 30, but there's something there that you can take. Let your imagination flow through your daydreams. That's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Darlene, one of the things I've, I've read in, in many of your articles, and if you haven't read any of Darlene's articles, ladies and gentlemen, read them. Biz Catalyst Thank 360. Thank you so much. Now, yes. in your articles, the, you talk about the importance of quiet, the yes. importance of a pause. Go into that in more depth. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, during this COVID time, obviously, isolation is, is not a very helpful thing, but non-COVID, or even during COVID, if there's a lot of noise, but I think one of the things that invites us to be more centered, more creative, more just feeling, regaining centeredness and balance is inviting quiet to go inward. Sometimes, you know, we live in such busy times, again, pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID that will slow down a little bit, but who knows. But everything's accelerated. There's noise, noise, noise. Everybody's talking. Everybody wants to be heard. And now with social media, 24-7 news, there's no quiet. And I often think about the fact that when I, and I love to dance and love to move, Frank, like many of us, we love music, we love to dance, we love to sing, even though I don't have a good voice, I still like to sing. But we need quiet because I find during those more, those times of turmoil, those times of stress, I have to have quiet. And some of the things that invites quiet is that nice classical soft music in the background. It invites for me and for many people creativity, centeredness, balance. That's why so many people do mindfulness. That's why in hypnosis, I invite visualization and and thought process, but it's very, very quiet. During silent retreats, people go and they say it's it's a game changer for them. Yoga, so many things that invite quiet and centeredness. They've even founded, found my mindfulness techniques for people in leadership positions make happier employees because a lot of these leaders or managers that are under stress and don't know how to deal with their employees or subordinates in a, in a more in a better way that in, in terms of dealing with people, the mindfulness techniques gets invites them to be more aware of their own behavior their own language, their own thought process. So they attend to their own people in a healthier way. It's a win-win for everyone. So quietness brings so many things to the table, and we often lose that. Darling, one of the things that uh, I've watched some of your talks, and I've listened to them, and one of the things you said to me when we spoke was you had an almost unbelievable fear of speaking publicly, and yeah. now you're a keynote speaker and a radio yeah. show host. How'd you overcome this? <laughs> well, you know, years ago, I just think of those times I've tortured my husband and I. I said, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? So years ago, I presented, I was invited to present a few times at the Grand Rounds in Needham, Massachusetts for physicians. And I would for a whole week go torture myself. And it always went well. And then eventually, as I, I don't know if I got older and wise, I started practicing. I started realizing I have a message, and I put myself out there. And then I was invited to present on, for example, the private practice world of psychotherapy. And I thought, well, I really like doing this. Then I presented on hypnosis, and I realized something shifted in me. And maybe it was because I had so many changes going on in my life 
that I realized I, my message needed to be brought to a larger platform. I love being a therapist. I still do. It's part of my identity. But I realized that this message has a need to be brought out for all my years of experience. So something shifted in me, Frank. I think it was practicing it. I went to Toastmasters, which helped me, which is really, I think, for the art of speaking. And then the National Speakers Association, which is the business of speaking. Some art, but more of that's from Toastmasters. And I decided to practice my craft. And lo and behold, I don't have... I don't have a fear of speaking anymore. Do I get a little anxious if I'm speaking in front of several hundred people? Yes, but I overcome it. I get up there and I just feel great knowing that I want to engage this audience as if they were one per- it was one person in front of me. When you listen to Darlene talk, when her speeches, when you, you go to her site, it, it is so conversational. It's not like a rally where she's trying to get everybody jumping up and down. It's like she's talking to you, and that's why she's so effective, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Frank. I, I'm so pleased you got that. That's what, I, that's what I want, so thank you. Now, Darlene, I read your book, Stop yes. Depriving the World of You. I love this title. What message are you sending to, the, to your readers? Yeah, it's really, it's so interesting because this, again, came from the world of therapy. So, you know, I've seen, I see all kinds of people from all walks of life. And some have been wounded because of the unfairness of life. I tell those people that they, they really do wish they could connect to the world. Some of them almost self-isolate. I say, listen, you have so much to offer. They said, because you're nice, darling. Not everyone is. I said, you're right. Not everyone is, but there's many more people just like me out there that are going to allow you to show yourself. And if they don't, you are an adult now. You know much more. You can say, they're not going to control me. I say, so I started saying to them, you are depriving the world of you. You are depriving the world of you. And I finally realized, no, I need to say, you need to stop depriving the world of you. And when I told my publisher that, he goes, that's the title of your book. I said, you're right. And so that's where the title came. It really came from me telling certain people to stop depriving the world of them. They have so much to offer. One point that I've heard you say is you, you, you're not going to change the world immediately and you're not going to change yourself immediately. It just takes one simple act of kindness, one step. Yes. And you guide people through that in your book. Is that right? Yes. Yes. You, you know... <laughs> We don't, again, I'll say this again, we don't always know the end of the story. And sometimes you may do one thing for someone and you have no idea. Or you might, they might tell you later, or you might not, how that could change them. That you just being nice. Some people have not encountered niceness a lot in their life for whatever reason. They may look even successful on the outside, but they've not been totally treated in a nice fashion or a loving fashion, that the, 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 the demons from the past remain. With someone being nice to them, or they're in an abusive relationship, I'll give that as an example, someone being nice to them, they, they're so lost that they can't believe someone can be. And so that act can be built on and help give them a little bit more power, a little bit more feeling good, to the point where eventually, not right away, if they find more people like that, they will feel empowered. They will see that they don't have to live their life afraid, invisible, stymied, paralyzed, that they can have a better life. And that's why I often say to people, I, you can have a better life 
I want you to have it. And I say, I want you to have it. I said, I can't do it for you. You have to believe me. You can have a better life. And some of the decisions these people have to make are, are torturous. But they know that I'm going to be behind them. And, and, and I'm not the only one. They have to seek out people that are going to be kind to them. And they can change, it can change the, traje- the trajectory of their life. One big challenge that, that I've seen, Darlene, is people that have been in that the type of situation where there hasn't been a lot of kindness, they have such a self-esteem, uh, such a damaged self-esteem, that they believe all these negative things that are occurring to them, they deserve it. Yes. Expand on that. Yes. You know, it's so that is just the crux of why many people come in or if they don't come in for that reason. Again, people come in for a problem sometimes that may be very different than what unfolds. Therapy is like peeling an onion away. And so you have to get them to see that those are old messages. Again, that is lodged in their unconscious mind and that through the process, not just of therapy, but also outside world of finding people that are more meaningful, people that are going to be kinder, that they can change those messages. And it depends on how wounded they are, how far back it is, what their current situations are, is at the moment. Many variables ensue, but you can help them if they're willing to hang in there with you to begin the process. And once in the blue moon, you have some people that really can't. They don't believe they can. They won't. They have to hold on to that. They fear that if they don't hold on to it, they'll lose their family. And they might. I mean, the reality is they might. But they have to make a decision. Can they? Do they want to continue that, that path of being in something so dysfunctional? Or do they want to see, take the risk of seeing that there could be something better, where they can live in a peaceful way, a loving way? It has to be up to them. What's the greater risk? So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this show has gone way too fast. We're just about out of time, Darlene. What last thought do you want to leave with the listeners? Oh, I just want people to know that you never, ever give up on the possibilities or the hope for change. It can happen. If you have the desire, it can happen. If you have the willingness to go through the rough road and it's tenacity, you may, you're going to walk around those rocks. Rocks, Frank, as you said, you have to find those. You might fall down. But get yourself back up. That's your resilience. And then go to your hope, your sense of hope. It's, it can be there. It can be found. And find people that will support that. Well, Darlene, thank you so much. This has been an enlightening hour with you. And as I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time. Once again, thank you to Darlene for sharing her inspiring story thank and you, her Frank. book, Stop thank Depriving you. the World of You. Go get it. Order it today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, during tough times, I want you to do three things. I want you to look up, I want you to get up, and never, ever give up. Start moving forward, and as Darlene has pointed out, better times and better people will enter your life. If you'd like more information about Darlene, you can contact her at her website or or contact me, and I'll make sure it gets to her. If you missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can listen to them on demand at any one of hundreds of different locations, now including iHeartRadio, Google, Alexa, or my website, frankzakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen, as I do every week. None of us are in this alone. And the secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Darlene showed us where many of those rocks are. Join me again next week, and we'll discuss another life-altering event. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.